Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. On this episode of the Front Office Podcast, I will be joined by Chris Rodriguez, the University of the Pacific baseball coach. We're going to talk about his team, a little Major League Baseball, and just some life stories. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Front Office Podcast. I am pleased to be joined by the University of Pacific of the Pacific uh, baseball coach, Mr. Chris Rodriguez. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing well, Derek. Hey, I uh, just want to appreciate and uh, thank you for ha- having me on. Appreciate it, Coach. Uh, this is your second year coaching after about and uh, about twenty years coach uh, tw- twenty years of coaching experience. Uh, with the University of the Pacific, um, starting off the season uh, on with a four and four record, um, got a big road trip coming up this weekend. Um, how's the first part of the season been working for you? First part's been good. I mean, um, you know, the players are, uh, you know, it's the ups and downs, and and what what baseball truly brings is is just the uh, you know the ups and downs of what what a season is, uh, the highs and the lows, and and biggest thing is just day to day just trying to get the the guys to be better definitely definitely you were a catcher at uh modesto junior college and then you yeah and uh uh then you were drafted in 1995 draft by the colorado rockies yes um from there you won the uh northwest uh, league championship with the class a portland rockies yes sir uh you got 63 players um um go to D1, and then 24 players have reached a professional level. How, how, how does that make you feel? That's kind of like got to be a proud moment, correct? Well, that's why – That's I mean, as a junior college coach, that's why you get into it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, um, at least the way I – the reason why I got into it was to see how many players I can influence, how many young men that I can influence their lives and try to, you know, try to be a mentor, you know, to those players of – of what's the right way of doing things and, and just prepping them to be better young men of life. So how does that experience, because, um, you know, we, we go to college to get to our, our pro level or we play uh, sports to get to a pro level or some aspect of it. How did your experience, um, how does that help with your team as you kind of prepared him to get on uh, to the next level of their careers? Well, it's I think it kind of goes back to um, – I mean, some of the things like Augie Garrido used to say regarding, you know, baseball is is the uh, the roadmap for their athletes to become young young men and the roadmap for life. And uh, so, for me, getting these guys to one understand of what they can accomplish and what they can push, uh, trying to get these young men to achieve the dreams that they've set forth or their goals that they set forth. Mm-hmm. And what they obtain them, they kind of learn from that experience, which uh, let's put it real. I think sports has a direct reflection of how 
how they will be later in life with the amount of discipline and the amount of time management, especially the the collegiate student athletes must have uh, regarding, you know, the time schedules of, of workouts to the class schedule, to baseball practice, to eating right, to, you know what I mean? Just the, the whole nine yards to where when they get older in life, they actually become very, very good employees for most businesses or, you know, for some of these guys are going to go own companies, right? Um, you know, and, and so they know the, the discipline that it needs to do on a day-to-day basis. You know, nutrition, you bring up a good point. Nutrition is a huge part. Um, staying hydrated, things of that sort. You know, what What do you kind of like, how do you kind of help them to understand that that's like a very important part, not just playing the game, but off the field, how they continue to um, handle themselves? We uh, we constantly have food and, and, and uh, uh, you know, fluids available to our student athletes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we stress it every single day. Like I pretty much end every practice with, Hey, make sure you hydrate, make sure you sleep. You know, those are the biggest things that help the body recover is is hydration and sleep. Um, and then on top of that is make sure that you understand that everything that you put into your body when it comes down to food wise is, is, is energy. Definitely. uh, Which is basically what, what a calorie is, right? It's Mm -hmm. just a unit of energy. And so we, we have a saying that, you know, um, continue to put, good good calories inside of your bodies in and out of your body so like it's not just you're going to put the good calories in your body but we also with what we use for our mouth we also talk about the amount of calories we put out of our mouth we want them to be good calories so um it's kind of a positive talk aspects um but yeah nutrition we stress we have nutritionists here on campus that aid and and making sure the guys are are getting fed right eating right uh, when we go on the road, make sure that they have enough food. Uh, we always we always end up traveling with 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 food, water, Gatorades, mm-hmm. Propels, whatever we can get in order to make sure the athletes are staying hydrated and fed, and then rest. That's awesome. You have some uh, big non conference opponents coming up: uh, Oral Roberts, Arizona, yep. Oklahoma, Cal. Those are some big schools that the University of the Pacific uh, going to be playing. Also within the conference, the Gonzagas, Santa Claras of the world. How do you how do you get your team to get up for those games, but not too high? But you know, as as well as just knowing that those are some big opponents that you're going up against. How do you kind of motivate them just a little extra, or is it even one of those things where they they don't need any help? They're going to just do it anyway. It's pretty organic. Yeah. Um, you know, at least what what we talk about inside of our locker room. Um, you know, is is when we start playing those opponents like. Honestly, what I try to get them to really zone in on, it's not so much we're playing the opponent, we're playing ourselves. Right. Uh, you know, the competition is against ourselves. We execute, we do what we need to do, we're going to be okay. Um, and, and, and when we start trying to really pair and look at that other opponent, we start playing the opponent, then that's when the player's energy levels either go too high or too, too low and, and all that stuff. So basically, I make it a challenge every single weekend to go out and play against yourself. You can, can compete against yourself. Every player uh, has written out like a course of standards of what they want to hold themselves accountable for, um, both for the weekend and also for the season. And so ba- basically the bottom line is, is go meet your standards. Um, and then when you meet those standards, we're going to write new standards and try to re- reach new goals. Uh, so it's not it's not so much playing the, the opponent aspect of it. And that's how we kind of keep it. I want our players to be on that 
even keeled as much as they possibly can instead of the highs and the lows. I love that. Go meet your standards. I love that. You have um, been looking at your the stats for your team. Um, there's a couple of players that I want to point out. James Arakawa batting 469 and nine hits in eight games. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> uh, James, is, James is a heck of a ball player. He yeah. A, uh, he, I mean, cliche it might sound, but um, when you start talking about that old school ball player, mm-hmm. that is James uh, in a nutshell. He is grind to the grind, and and he refuses to quit. He refuses to lose. He He's just an absolute competitor. Um, I mean, I'll put, I want the bat in his hand when the game's on the line. Like Oof, that. That's a beautiful thing. Uh, Ben Nibivant, uh, batting seven, Nibivant, yeah, batting 760 slug, um, nine RBIs and three homers. You got to be happy about that, um, early out the gate bat. It's been good. It, it's been, Ben's done a really good job. I mean, he's, uh, he has really grown over the four years that he's been here. Um, I mean, to sit there and say, hey, you know what? He, I think coming into this season, he had a total of three home runs as a career here. Um, and, and in the first two weekends, he's got three already. Um, I mean, he's, again, it's we've really changed the way we've done some weight program stuff here. Uh, ben is, is one of those guys that has benefited a lot from that. And uh, I'm I'm I'm, lo- I'm lo- really looking forward to seeing how his season ultimately ends up. He has a great concept of who he is. Um, honestly, uh, I think on three of those or two of the home runs, uh, he's had a runner on first base. Okay. Uh, and Ben and I have talked regarding he's, he has very good bat control, and we've talked about hey, I, I don't want to bunt you. Um, right. because you have good bat control and you've got good barrel to bat skills. I said, all I want you to do is hit a ground ball between the first and second base so we can go first and third. And, and honestly, those two times, that's all he was trying to do was hit a, basically a base hit between the first baseman and second baseman, and he just happened to get the barrel a little bit more out front and hit the good part of the ball and ball lands on the other side of the wall. You know, it's crazy because in, in reading um, up on, on your players, being from Scottsdale, you know, that's like spring training capital in Arizona and all that. You think some of that also has a play in, in some of the guys as far as like just being around that baseball, like probably at a very young age and just seeing it all the time? Well, Ben, Ben's, uh, again, all these guys have been playing ball their their entire life. Um, they've been around it. They, they eat, sleep, mm-hmm. and breathe it. Um, I mean, but... Ben, what Ben has done is he's really, I, I honestly think his barrel is in the zone longer than anybody else mm. on, on our team. And so it gives him the opportunity to be early, late, um, and, and still be able to get the barrel to the baseball. So he's, he's been, he's been really good the last two seasons. I'll tell you that. And then we have a uh, Chaz Myers, um, 12 runs scored, eight hits, six walks. How do you install that patience at the plate? Because to get six walks, that that requires a lot of patience. I also think he's got five or six times he's been hit already. Too. <laughs> um, the Chaz, Chaz again, uh, the cliche, right? He's a ball player, right? Um, he's he never wants to come off the field. He he's just the guy that just eats, sleeps baseball. 
um, has a very good presence about the game. He knows his abilities. He knows the strike zone. He's very disciplined hitter. Um, throwing BP to that guy sometimes is is is, is an, a work uh, because he won't. He has certain ideas what he's trying to do, and he doesn't swing at the pitches that that are borderline uh, even in BP. Um, so I think that really uh, accounts to what he does. Um, especially as being a, uh, you know, for us, he's being a, a leadoff batter and being able to, to handle and seeing pitches. Um, he, he's, he's done a wonderful job so far the, the, se- the season. Um, and what's nice is he has full confidence to hit with two strikes. Ooh. So um, it's one of those things he's, he'll let the ball back up on him with two strikes. And I mean, he's just does a great job. Man, that's awesome. One of my favorite leadoff hitters uh, was Ricky Henderson. And I know, that's, yeah, and I know. That's one I was thinking of. Exactly. And, you know, as soon as you get on base, I mean, not only did Ricky have a great um, batting average, he would also hit for power as well. So some of those would get out of the yard. But just leading off a game, that can almost just, just take your team in, just, in a entirely different direction if you can get that leadoff batter on base, definitely. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, so we know that everyone can't play. You know, we, we, you know, only a certain amount of guys can play during the game. And if they're pinch hitting, pinch running and all that for the guys who don't get as much, uh, play on the field, how do you keep them motivated? How do you keep them engaged? Well, we end up doing a lot. I mean, I try to change guys in and out. Um, I, I got no problem. I'll give a guy a rest. Um, it's something that I've challenged this team, uh, in, in the early fall is to, you know, their job is to make my job as hard as I possibly can when it makes makes it out to who, who I write in the lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I challenge them each day when it comes down to that aspect of it. I'm like, hey, don't make my job easy, you know. Mm. And and uh, and so they, they take that into heart. And so they work really hard. Um, you know, our BP rounds, um, you know, they know that everything we talk about our rounds, we talk about our defense when we're taking the BP rounds. And uh, it's funny to watch our to watch our outfielders during BP and guys are running the gaps and laying out, diving. Our infielders are, are diving uh, because they know, again, we've created these standards for our program. And they know, and, and like a couple of, a couple of young freshmen have, have, have really started to pick it up too because they see the older guys right. laying out, diving during BP. And so they know that that's what is expected of them and they push themselves to kind of reach those standards because like, I'll have conversations and just be honest and be like, Hey, if you want to play, you got to show me you want to play. Right. And, and that and your opportunities are during VP, your opportunities are during practice. Um, and, and if you try, if you take a day off of practice, that just means you're taking the day off of the game. Yeah. Yeah. And that means someone's always trying to take your spot. Um, it's, it's, I always look at it like this. It's always good when there's a freshman or a sophomore pushing a junior and a senior because it's going to make them work even harder. And it's also going to help that freshman, sophomore to kind of understand what they have to do to get to the level that the other players may um, have to get to as well. Right. And we, we, you know, just like I think every program pretty much has this. It's it's kind of one of our, our aspects or at least one of the guidelines that we use is if you're an upperclassman, you better be better than the freshman. You better be. Because <laughs> uh, if, if you're the same as the freshman, I'm going to play the freshman. Definitely. Uh, and then the freshman, hey, push them, catch them, because all you have to do as a freshman is just be as good as them. Right. And 
you'll get the play. Definitely. And and so like setting those standards again and, and just open open dialogue really stretches that aspect to to these guys trying to achieve what they could achieve. Analytics, they're a big part of baseball. Uh, Moneyball is one of my favorite movies. Um, I'm from Oakland. I didn't know if you know that, Coach. Uh, so I was around in the, the all those days. Uh, World Series, lost to the Dodgers, Kirk Gibson, all that stuff. Um, oh, yeah, I remember those days quite well. Oh, yeah. How much do you rely on analytics in, in, in your statistics? We do a lot of analytics when it comes down to, you know, scouting reports, um, you know, breaking it down into our hitters and, and, and stuff like that. So we, we use it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe in technology. I, I embrace it. Um, I think it's a tool. It's not the tool. Right. It's a tool. Um, but yes, we definitely are into the tech aspects, especially trying to develop our pitchers and, and their pitching profile and how they tumble pitches together and and what their spin rates are of, of their fastball versus what their curveball and slider are, plus their changeup. I mean, we, we, we use all the analytic data to kind of build our players up. Um, and then hitting wise, we have different focuses when it comes down to what their what their metrics are, such as uh, you know the, one of the big ones is ex, I think exit velo for a hitter dictates what launch angle they should really truly be at. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, the harder you hit the ball, the higher launch angle you could actually have. The, the the less exit velo you have, you better be hitting the ball a little bit more on a line to the ground versus the the, the line in the air. Because uh, basically, three hundred foot pop ups get caught. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they do. <laughs> you know, and so we do. We use those data. We look at you know building our hitting approach against the opponent's team. We look at you know what's his fastball percentage versus his slider. Uh, what does he throw with runners in scoring position in early in the counts versus late in the counts? Uh, what do we look at on shifts? Does this guy? You know, on fastballs, what side of the field is he hitting it on? On changeups, what side of the field is he hitting it on? And we'll we'll have all that collective data um, in order to make those at least. You know, we're gonna play the numbers a little bit. Right, right. My um, old general manager used to always tell me, analytics doesn't make the decision; it just helps you make the decision. Um, yes. Yes, definitely. So it, it's a great tool to use and it, it will help you make certain decisions like, right, let's try a fastball this time or let's try a curveball because the analytics shows this guy can't catch up to that correct yeah um so success so we all know in life we're always trying to um, um progress and we know that that student athletes they want to get to the show we know if the yeah. team we know if the team plays well the university looks great the player looks great the coach looks great how do you keep everyone focused on the task at hand for the University of the Pacific and not think too far ahead, keeping their goals in mind? But how do you keep players from being selfish, so to speak? Well, again, we it's it's I think that's what we do in the fall. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we build this up and and we do a lot of competition stuff in the fall for it's not for you. It's for the team. Um you know, so a lot of the things that we do, it's not, it doesn't, we push it more to where if you do something, it's going to affect the team versus affecting yourself. Mm. And by doing that, we reflect on the, the aspects of building the team instead of the individual aspects. Um, and then obviously we, we, 
the guys that potentially have very good chances of being drafted or have a pro pro career. Uh, we talk with those guys constantly, just being an understanding. Hey, why you're getting this attention is because of what you've done before. Mm-hmm. Okay, and and all all you need to do is keep doing what you're doing, and don't worry about the end product. The 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 product happens because of the process. Right. Uh, if you continue your process and continue to get better, you continue continue that aspect of it the outcome will be what you want it to be but you the ones that you get in the problem is when you start looking at the outcome and forget about the process Mm. and and then they get overwhelmed because now they're just looking at just the outcome and not dealing with the day-to-day process stuff we we live we live in a world of social media coach and you can say something and it could end you you can have an uh an opinion on something and it could bring the wrong type of energy or, or light to a program. How do you monitor the social media with, with your team? How do you keep guys grounded on, on not touching on subjects that they shouldn't touch on? How do you keep them um, to, to stay pretty much PC correct so that they don't say anything to offend anyone? Well, I, I would like to say it, it happens to where that does uh, work that way. Mm-hmm. But obviously there, there's always the outliers that, that sometimes, Try to, you know, they don't do it maliciously, but maybe send something out uh, that's inappropriate. Right. Um, but they don't see it being inappropriate. But sometimes, you know, it does. Um, let's right. Be real. I mean, um, one thing that one person says doesn't always have that same intent as somebody takes it. Right. Uh, so we really we in the first two weeks when guys are on campus. During the recruiting process, during all of that, we really understand. I have a, what I said, the standards of being a tiger, mm-hmm. okay? And we go over this with parents. We go over this with recruits. We go over this as a team. And the, the idea of this is ingraining who they truly are and what they're truly representing. Um, and basically, we tell them, as soon as you sign and a letter of intent, or as soon as you walk into our locker room, uh, you are now a tiger. Right. And there's no off switch to that. You are a tiger 24-7, seven days a week. And so uh, right or wrong, you're under a microscope, and along comes that. Is There's social media aspects. There's uh, there's a lot of life things in there. <laughs> and I go, the bottom line of it is, is, is treat it this way. Right. You can, uh, you can click. You can like, you you can do, you can retweet, uh, but the idea is minimize the amount of text that you actually put in your social media accounts, um, because therefore it's less likely to be taken in the wrong manners. Um, and and then obviously understand that you, you're representing yourself, your family, this university, the athletic department, the baseball team, your family inside this locker room, and all, and then obviously your coaching staff too. Definitely. You, you brought up recruiting. Um, talent, of course, is key uh, component in, in player player development and things of that sort. But it's more than talent, I, I believe. Um, what else do you look for in your recruiting process? Desire. Desire. Um, you know, the, the you know, there, there's athletes out there who have a lot of talent, but if they don't have this, the right the right work ethic that matches what we do here they're not going to be a good fit here. Mm. Um, so obviously I watch the way that they interact with their teammates on the field. 
I, I like, it's funny. I tell the recruits, I'm like, Hey, I'm going to come out and watch you. And, and then like, you know, sometimes I go out and I've seen them have a lot of success and boom, their body language is good. Their energy levels are up. They're interacting with their players really good. I'm like, okay, that's all fun, fun and dandy, but I'm going to come out again. And I said, don't take this the wrong way, but I really want to see you fail. Right. Uh, because I think by you failing, I'll, I'll, you know, I can get a better insight to who you are and what your character is like after you fail uh, versus, and you know, everybody's attitudes, body language are great when things are easy, but when adversity hits, that's when your true test of character is, is going to be revealed. And so some of the things I look at for some, how they deal with that failure, mm-hmm. um, are they in the dugout so sulking? Are they pouting? Do they throw their helmets? Do they throw their bats? Are they self, you know, do they, they close off and not interact with their teammates? They're not picking up their teammates, you know, um, are they not engaged in the game? Are they, you know what I mean? Or is their mind somewhere else? Those are a lot of things that I, that I look for too. And then, Again, when we're out of fields, we're also evaluating parents. Definitely. Um, what, what their interactions are like. Are they, you know, are they rooting the kids on, which is awesome, uh, or are they jumping all over the other team? Are they jumping on the umpires? Are they trying to make excuses? Because um, basically, the underlying of one of our standards is there are no excuses. Mm-hmm. Um, like and, that. And so, making sure that they're going to be the right fit for this program. You know, it's it sometimes, I wonder sometimes. You know, when when coaches are telling the player that they're coming to their game, you also want you you know, you're getting their best because they know you're in the stands. Do you ever yeah. tell do you ever not tell them you're coming just to kind of just see what they're doing on when on the off time? All the time. <laughs> All the time. <laughs> just yeah. to be sure, huh? Oh, there's times that I tell them I'm coming and there's other times I tell them I'm not coming. Gotcha. And I still show up because I want to see how they react. Um, there's times that. I'm one of those guys that when I when I going out looking for a player, um, I might go sit in the corner. Uh, I'll be away from everybody. You won't even know I'm at the field. Um, yeah. It's kind of my upbringing. I, I was brought up of, of, hey, every time you step foot on this baseball field, you're being evaluated. Uh, there might be a scout sitting on top of a building with a set of binoculars. So you better do it the right way every yep. single time. Someone's always watching you. That's what I always tell people. A hundred percent. That's that's kind of what I brought up. That's what I was brought up with, and I'm, you know, I, you know, I try to let these guys. I try to convey that to these guys every single day. Let's uh, switch subjects a little bit, and, and we can speak about this as much as you possibly can. Major League uh, Baseball went on strike. Um, first strike since ninety four, ninety five. Uh, yeah. Players want to play. How how do you how do you just as a fan? How do you kind of I'm disappointed that it's happening. How do you kind of um, navigate through that? Yes, for sure. Um, the big thing for me is, yeah, it's, it's a tough situation, man. It's right. really it. Um, you know, the game of baseball, I mean, it's been such a big pivotal part of my life. Mm-hmm. And I remember the strike back in you know, 95, I think it was, or mm-hmm. 90, 94, 95, uh, and, and uh, the amount of people who took baseball and had a negative connotation to it because of this. Right. Uh, you know, just like everything else in life, there's there's two sides of every story, or there's three sides of every story, right? You got, yep. And the same thing happens in, in these scenarios. You got the player side, you got the owner side, and somewhere in the middle has got to be the truth. Definitely. Uh, and, and 
and it's sad that some, sometimes the fans kind of get left out uh, when it comes down to it. Um, but let's be real. The guys who really love love this game, they're going to continue to follow this game. And um, that's, that's the beauty of baseball is I think that it's a, there's a lot of people out there who truly love this game. But I know the players want to play. I've got players right now. I mean, we just had um, Brett, Brett Sullivan. He just uh, – Signed with the Brewers on his first major league contract. He's he's chomping at the bit. Yeah, and wants to go and and get his get his opportunity to go play, you know, in the big leagues. And especially he's been had a he's had a minor league career right now, and, and I know he wants to go out and play, um, you know, and and uh, hopefully they can figure this thing out a little bit quicker. Definitely, one thing I am enjoying enjoying is. Um, Women starting to get into the baseball front office. The Mets hired Elizabeth Bean as their director yep. of Major League Operations. The yep. Marlins uh, GM Kim Ng after Derek Jeter uh, uh, stepped down. I'm enjoying to see that uh, process in- inclusivity starting to happen in the game of baseball as well. Well, I think that's kind of. I mean, a baseball mind is a baseball mind. Definitely, right? <laughs> it, it doesn't know gender. Yeah, uh, and, and 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 there's a lot of people up there who 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 know this game of baseball ins and outs and especially at, at some of those levels, it's more on the interaction of people um, than it is anything else. And how, how you, you know, how, how do you coach people, uh, especially at some of those higher roles, right? How do you coach the coaches and how do you get the most out of your coaches, which is eventually going to get the most out of your players. Um, and, and so a mind, a mind is a mind. It, it doesn't know the gender. I, I love that. I love that. All right, coach, who was your team growing up? Who's your baseball team? I grew. I well, I was born in L.A. Okay. Uh, so my first, my first game I ever went to was Dodger Stadium. Mm. Uh, I mean, I it's one of those memories that's ingrained in me. Uh, I remember going up to Chavez Ravine, walking through the 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 tunnel because we we sat behind third third base dugout. We walked through the tunnel and boom, saw the field and fell in love right then at the spot. And, um, that was back in, uh, 1981. Um, and, and at that point, you know, the Dodgers always had a good team. And so I kind of fell in love with the Dodgers and been a Dodger fan my entire life. Uh, you know, growing up watching, you know, Steve Garvey, Ron Say, Steve oh, yeah. Sack, Mike Sosha, Davey Lopes, oh, yeah. uh, you know, Dusty Baker, Dave Stewart, Bob Welch, Tom Needenfewer, uh, I mean, I grew up watching these guys and, and, um, you know, then obviously in, in the mid, you know, the mid, the mid eighties, the Dodgers had a run of, uh, some rookies of the year of, you know, Mike Piazza and Eric Karos and, and, um, you know, and just watching them play. Those are all guys that I kind of, you know, grew up watching. Definitely. Definitely. I remember when Dave Stewart and Bob Welch, I remember Dave Stewart left the Dodgers, um, uh-huh. Went to the A's. Bob Welch came to the A's. You know, I still see Kirk Gibson doing that little thing after the oh, home yeah. run. Oh man, I I knew we were going to beat the Dodgers in that World Series, but I still see Tommy Lasorda running out onto the field. So uh, definitely, well, here's an ironic story to that that '88 World Series. So um, my high school coach, I went to California High School in, in San Ramon. My junior and senior year, my high school coach was Mike Davis. Oh. Uh, and so Mike Davis played with the A's, played yep. with the Dodgers. Um, Mike Davis was up to bat 
right before Kirk Gibson hit that home run. And so he was the one who got the walk against Eckersley, yep. who brought Kirk Gibson up to the plate. <sighs> That's crazy. That's awesome. And so, like, so some of that came up. And then, you know, I think, I mean, the other side of it, I grew up as a pitcher in shortstop. So, like, one of my biggest idols was uh, Oral Hershiser. And the year he had an 88, man, you, uh, that's I think you can go down and, and probably classify his 88 season, or sorry, his 89 season. Yeah, the score of the streak, right? Yeah, so yeah. 89. Yeah. Uh, that was one of the best seasons anybody's ever had in, in Major League Baseball. And just, it was, it was, it's, it was, it was awesome. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. What happened to base stealing, coach? Why don't anyone, why don't we see 100 bases stolen now? <laughs> well, uh, part of the reason, I think, if you go back to the analytics of it, right? I mean, you're, you're going to have your base stealers who steal. Right. Okay? Guys, guys who get paid to steal, steal bases will steal bases. Right. But let's be real. In, in pro ball, guys are paid to hit the ball, you know, on to the other side of the fence. Mm. And so the risk versus reward, the catchers these days can really throw. Um, so the risk versus reward and, and bottom line of it is it's tough enough to get hits off these major league pitchers. Right. And, and so when you get guys on base, those, those big league hitters, they all can leave the park at any time. And so would you rather a two run home run or a solo shot? Because you got a guy thrown out of second base, still in the back. Right. Right. I remember I used to see Ivan Rodriguez just standing up and gunning guys at second base. Like it's hard to guess run on these these catchers now these days because they will catch you. <laughs> oh no, you're talking about you're talking about one one of the best of all time right there. Right, definitely. You know, and, and, you, know you throw in Yachty or Molina. Oh and, yeah. Uh, Sandoval. I, I mean, um, not Sandoval. Uh, Salvador Perez. Yeah. Uh, you know, some of the best who ever threw through it in that catcher spot and, and there's plenty more of those guys so uh it's tough it's tough to steal bags and getting a base runner these days against some of these pitchers it's you you don't you don't want to you don't want to take it away right you might not get back on you might not get back on um mental health is is finally fortunately being talked about in a lot of of men a lot of sports life in general um with the passing of jeremy giambi um, how, how do you, how do you keep your, your team, um, free to talk about the things that they're, um, going through? Cause everyone has something that they're going through. So how do you help like with the mental health of your players and, and, and their challenges that they go on, on and off the field? Well, the, I mean, depends on, depends on what the situation is, right? right. I mean, uh, I'm fortunate enough to where at, at the university of the Pacific, we have a sports psychologist on campus. Um, to where, you know, obviously anybody who's suffering from any type of, you know, either signs of depression, signs of exclusion, signs of isolation, um, that we can easily sit there and go, Hey, you know what, why don't we, why don't you go set up something to go talk to the sport, mm-hmm. sport psychologist, go talk with them a little bit. And if they don't want to talk to them, they know my door is always open. Um, and, and we have honest talk, uh, I, I share a lot of my life and what I've been, what I've been up with and mm-hmm. brought with and what I've experienced. Uh, Cause I mean, I've been all over the map when it comes down to things on, on life experiences. Yeah. And I, I, because I'm willing to share and open up about who I am and what I've gone through. Uh, it show 
for me, it shows the players how authentic I am and true I am. And then they build the confidence to come in and see me that that they're going to, we can have an open conversation without judgment. I mean, because in, at the end of the day, you're responsible for everyone on this team. So if they don't feel comfortable enough to talk to you and if you're not sharing some of your internal um, things that are going on, then it's probably never going to work. But the fact that you're allowing yourself to even be open has to weigh heavily on them to be like, coach is pretty cool. Like we can talk about anything. Well, it comes down to it. Put it this way is, is my upbringing when it came down to of teaching at a junior college for about 16 years. Um, I used to teach health class. And, and so that was my number one class that I taught. And I really took that class to heart. And there was a lot of, you know, mental health that we, we covered in that class and a lot of the different family effects, a lot of the different things of, of what true life brings uh, that a lot of teachers didn't really go into detail with or bring personal aspects into the class. They only live by the book where I was one of the teachers that I tried to bring as much personal life into that class as I possibly can to kind of connect with those students. And it works very well. And I connected with the students very well. And I, I would have students come up to me after class. Can we talk? And and so it's the same thing I, I do with our baseball team. Hey, Coach Rodriguez, thanks for uh, coming on the show. Um, I know you got some big games coming up. I'm going to catch you out on the next homestand. Um, awesome. Yeah, I appreciate you coming in. I look forward to the rest of the season. Let's do this again soon. For sure. Yeah, just, hey, I'm, I'm pretty available. Yeah. Uh, I got no problem. I'll, I'll, talk, I'll talk with you anytime you, you want. Thanks, Coach. I appreciate it. All right. I appreciate you. Thanks again, Coach Rodriguez, for coming on the episode. I know you got a big road trip coming up, so thanks for taking out the time to, to join the podcast. Um, we're going to definitely do that again. I really appreciate you. Uh, Thank you to the University of the Pacific as well. And go Tigers. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube